one person's opinion are the epics that I think have proved over time to be the most influential and in terms of quality from my perspective in any case the best I have cut a little bit of slack for English epics since the lectures are in English, but otherwise this is sort of an all-time all-stars list. And as such, it's going to have to start with the first and most famous epics of all, those of Homer. And we'll begin at the beginning in ancient Greece with the biggest of the big boys, Homer himself and the Iliad and the Odyssey, the two epics that have come down to us which bear Homer's name. There were, in fact, a few Roman epic attempts before Virgil, but Virgil's Aeneid, written during the early days of the Emperor Augustus, so thoroughly trounced them in public estimation that actually no copies of those previous epics survive, and ever since what an epic is has been conditioned in people's minds more by the Aeneid than by any other single work. Then, in lecture number seven, we'll move to a completely different context as we leave antiquity altogether and move on to the Anglo-Saxon and Germanic heroic north. And then we'll move to Italy and the High Middle Ages. And we'll spend a lot of time on what, for my money, and I make no apologies for it, is the single greatest literary work ever composed, the Divine Comedy of Dante Alighieri. And we'll take a look at the structure of the Commedia, as they call it, as a whole, and then we'll focus in on the Inferno, the Purgatorio, and the Paradiso. Then we'll move to England, out of the world of the Catholic Middle Ages into the aggressively Protestant world of Elizabethan England, land of sea dogs and the defeat of the Armada in Shakespeare and so on. We won't be looking at Shakespeare. He never wrote uh, an epic. But we will be looking at Sir Edmund Spencer and the opening of his immense Fairy Queen which was going to be, as we'll see, even larger, four times larger than it is, and it's 30,000 lines as it stands. But sadly, he died. Then the England of the English Civil Wars, Puritans versus Cavaliers, John Milton and his account, as he puts it, of man's first disobedience and that forbidden fruit whose mortal taste bought sin into our world and all our woe with loss of Eden. Let me encourage you, by the way, if you have the time and opportunity to revisit these epics. The lectures to follow, I think and hope, will be richer and more informative if you have that chance. They're wonderful things to read. And in the course guide, you'll find my suggestions such as they are, of good editions and good translations where appropriate of them, and also where they're available, recorded versions of the epic so that you can listen to them as well as read them. The epic impulse didn't actually end with the publication of Paradise Lost, but it's hard to argue that more recent claimants have been unambiguously 
or totally successful. But in our last lecture, we'll take a look at some of those and see how Moby Dick and James Joyce and maybe even in his own odd way, J.R.R. Tolkien stack up as contenders for the laurel crown which epic poets traditionally deserve. What is an epic? As it's used now, epics are ordinarily considered to be large, ambitious projects. We hear about epic filmmaking and epic novels, and that's spinning off the traditional meaning of epic in terms of largeness and ambition, but the epic technically considered is a little bit narrower than that. It is, as I said, to start with, the theater of bigness. In this sense, it has been from the outset, from literally before recorded